Welcome to another episode of Sounds Japanese Canadian to Me with me, Randy Nakagawa. And me, Carolyn Nakagawa. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, I was actually doing some research for something else entirely the other day, and I found a really interesting quote from Art Miki, who was president of the NAGAC during the redress movement. And he said more recently, Prior to the redress settlement, there were only two cultural centers across Canada. Today, we have 12 cultural and community centers that have become focal places where cultural, educational, and social activities bring the Japanese Canadians together. The increased level of participation demonstrates that there is renewed interest in Japanese Canadian culture and in being Japanese. Programs and activities are being accessed by other Canadians, and this relationship has certainly created positive attitudes. And that's so funny that I came across his statement on that idea, because we had been talking about the phenomenon of Japanese Canadian or Nikkei or Japanese cultural centers in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and here we are to be talking in the bowels of one, the Nikkei. Yes, yes. We're back in the vault today. But also, on that note, we are here on behalf of the Nikkei National Museum. The mm-hmm. full organization's name is the Nikkei National Museum and Cultural Center. But we're here in the depths of the most museum-y part of the center, the vault, the archives, but also sharing our work and our activities with a cultural center. So there's two sides to our organization. And that seems like something that's quite common across the country is that most cultural centers are not just one thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of cultural centers are like community centers as well, and I think that that's true just in general, including of us. Or there's some kind of museum or archive of some degree in a lot of, especially the larger ones, or different seniors groups and centers and other things like that. So I was curious about what makes a certain building or organization that runs a building a cultural center. Mm-hmm rather than a community center, or rather than anything else even, because I'm thinking about us being a museum and cultural center, and how being a museum is different from being a cultural center, but they're both important gathering places for the community. Mm-hmm. Ironic, yeah, that you make the distinction between a community center and a cultural center, but the relevance to a community and what that community might be and how it evolves. So the role mm-hmm. of them. And I think that a lot of the time, the two ideas of community and cultural centers overlap. Mm-hmm. But most of the places that we look at, I think, in terms of Japanese Canadian centers, call themselves cultural centers, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's part of what we're looking at as like an interesting thing about Japanese Canadian centers. Mm. And that they're often called Japanese Canadian yes. cultural centers or Canadian Japanese cultural yes, centers. But some not of them. Japanese cultural Much, centers. Not just, yeah. But that's not true of all of these centers that we're going to talk mm-hmm. about either. Right. And it seems like there are historical elements to that. Yes. I think it was interesting what Art was mentioning about only two existing prior to redress. Mm -hmm. Certainly one of them is in Toronto. Yes. And I think the other one is actually in Montreal. Oh. And that kind of surprised me at first. There was a period of time after the war when Toronto actually closed off Japanese Canadians being able to go into Toronto and they started diverting to other places. Right. Whereas well, Montreal... Well, that was true of a lot of urban centers, right? Yeah. A lot of them were rejecting Japanese Canadians moving into them. Yes. Well, there was that choice of go east of the Rockies or go to Japan. and then... But east of the Rockies didn't want them either. Right. Yeah. But a lot of them were trying to get into Toronto and initially there was this influx mm-hmm. and then Toronto shut the door for oh. a while and then so they got kind of diverted to some of these other areas. Oh. And that's partly why communities built up in some of these other areas in Ontario and in, like in, in the case Hamilton. of Montreal. 
Yeah. And in the case of Montreal, they never had any restrictions, apparently. Oh. And one of the problems, though, of course, was they'd have to learn French on top of it all. So, yes. so that was an extra constraint. But they did have this community that was supported by a church. And then there was a community center as a source for kindergartens. Okay. So as far back as the 50s, they had a group. Mm-hmm. And I kind of think of when you talk about like being supported by the church and having a, like a little kindergarten, it's almost like before the war, those kinds of services or those kinds of functions were performed, a lot of them by churches, like either the United Church or the Methodist or Anglican churches or the Buddhist temple would be providing kindergarten, would be providing mm. ESL classes, were providing that kind of support to the community. Mm-hmm. And especially some of the smaller groups that I was learning about during my research across Canada, the ones that don't have their own buildings often do hold their events in churches or temples like Lethbridge JCCA or uh, the group in Victoria mm-hmm. seem to both hold events in different churches in absence of their own dedicated space. Right. And so right after that war, then you have the sense of an influx of people who are kind of new to an area. Right. And so they might now have... we're back to Montreal. Montreal or other places as well. A little bit later on, then Toronto right. became certainly an area of focus where a lot of people ended up. So my parents, both of their families ended up in Toronto and there was a growing community there. And so by the 60s, they were starting to work together and there was this idea of creating a focal point. So it seems to be, have been quite a significant effort. They were soliciting funds from members of the community and they were able to raise enough funds to build from scratch their own building, cultural center. In the 60s. In, in the 60s. So That's incredible. 1963 it opened. It was the first institution that architect Raymond Moriyama built, designed and built. Oh, that's so great. Um, it became an iconic building mm-hmm. with symbolic elements related to confinement but also of hope and there are discussions about that process Um, do you know any of the details of that offhand like well one of them some of the the way the frontage is Mm -hmm. has wooden bars going across the front oh yeah there's a little japanese garden out front there right i did go there when i visited toronto uh yeah originally there was sort of a stone structure in the front garden is kind of in the back it's now been transformed into the newer cultural center islamic group and they actually commissioned the moriyama company to do their renovations so what happened oh. is because the japanese canadian cultural center ended up moving in the late 90s so, oh so that's not the original building right okay right So they felt that the community was growing at that time and the renovations to the original building were perceived as being too expensive. So they were moved into a larger kind of industrial building. Oh, so and then the old original JCCC, Japanese Canadian Cultural Center, became an Islamic cultural center. Yes. Oh, yes. that's so cool. Yeah, it's quite interesting and beautiful the way that it's been modified, but you can see oh. the original forms. And it was also quite interesting and significant that they went back to the original architect yeah. to do the renovations to it. Mm-hmm. And Raymond Moriyama also designed this building as well. Originally, Originally yeah, I think there were the, modifications or something. But... The conceptual architect for mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's a great story. I had no idea even that the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center was built originally in the 60s. Because mm-hmm. I think about, well, I mean, our own story at Nikkei here is building the center almost as a symbolic thing after redress, which is mm-hmm. what Armiki talks about, is the idea that the funds to rebuild the community, rebuilding the community in a lot of 
cases was about building a physical space for the community to gather in terms of a cultural center. And that's how the Nikkei Center ended up here in Burnaby. And the importance of having the housing associated with it. Yes. And Jason, that idea of becoming yeah, a focal Nikkei point. Home and New Sakuraso, which are the two seniors housing facilities which we share a campus with. So yeah, in terms of it being something that was organized pre-redress, that's quite phenomenal, I think. But also it's so powerful that several other cultural centers were able to be built because of the money to reestablish the communities. Mm -hmm. And some of them grew out of organizations that a number of them seem to have been started right around the centennial time. So that was in 1977. A few of them, Ottawa and Hamilton, seem to have been coalescing yeah. In the mid-70s. Kamloops as well. Yeah, and not to say that separating cultural centers from community organizations. There are certainly Nikkei community organizations in the Vancouver area prior to the Nikkei Center. In other places as well, the organizations were often started independent of the idea of having a building and then later diverted their attention to that when there was an opportunity for it. So it seemed the earlier cultural centers had this impetus of particular concern of a place for the Issei. You know, the Nisei were involved in right. making this happen for their parents as a place to come together. Right. And so that's like Tonari Gumi here. Mm-hmm. And it was made for the Issei as they were aging to provide support to them. So it's been interesting how these places are able to evolve over time. Mm-hmm. You can imagine that even if you're not an immigrant, if you've been there for 40 years or something, but you've been treated like an immigrant or that you're looking for your people that you can hang out with, that it creates a kind of uh, refuge in a sense. Mm-hmm. So over time, the concern has been that the descendants are less interested in being connected in that way. But then you have newer immigrants from Japan who, in a lot of these cases, if they're major centers, are more likely to be there and being involved. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing that here in, in Toronto, there's mm-hmm. a committee, the new Japanese Canadian committee, specifically geared toward welcoming new immigrants. Right. And I think that's been a large part of the revival of certain things. And they've even, when I've looked at sort of accounts of how things were decade by decade in Canada for Japanese Canadians, they talk about it, especially in the 70s, as the new immigrants bringing back traditional Japanese arts and culture to the Nikkei community who had lost it during the war years. So things like tea ceremony, kimono, and ikebana. It wasn't the Nikkei from before the war years that were practicing that because they had lost touch with those things during difficult times. But people who were coming newly from Japan had those skills and that knowledge mm-hmm. with them. And they were able to share that and sort of reinvigorate the community. And that was around the time when people started to do taiko in North America as well. There is an interesting tension there, I guess, associated with traditional Japanese culture and even whether you call it just a Japanese cultural center or as was the case in Toronto, they were very concerned about having the Canadian part in there because of, in a sense, a reaction to during wartime of not being treated as Canadians and they wanted to be able to establish that. And that's very sensitive in our community in Vancouver too, I think, is the idea that we're not Japanese were Nikkei. Uh-huh. And that includes newer immigrants from Japan, but it's also very important that it's not the same as being Japanese. Mm-hmm. And in some of the areas, though, if they don't have the influx of new immigrants, then it's harder for them to carry on, it seems. Right. Uh, one of the places I was surprised to hear about was in Thunder Bay, that oh. they had a place. And apparently they, the people who were there, pooled their redress funds oh. uh, to help build a community center in Thunder Bay. Oh. And so in exchange 
exchange, then they had a 25-year lease, which apparently is due next year. So they're renegotiating. But their organization, because they don't have an influx of new people with Mm -hmm. Japanese backgrounds, seems to be diminishing over time. And so they seem to be a little bit concerned with that, although they're making their efforts to carry on a lot of different cultural traditions. So they don't have their own building, but they have a special place in a general community building because they contributed towards it. Mm-hmm. Which is actually similar to what happened in Steveston. I was looking up the history of the Steveston Japanese Canadian Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. When the community was forced to leave the coast in 1942, the Japanese Fishermen's Benevolent Society, the union from the fishermen, had $15,000. I think that must be like in that day's currency, which would have been quite a lot of money, in their bank account or wherever. Mm-hmm. And then when the community returned to Steveston, it's one of the few places along the coast that a significant amount of people did return to after the restrictions were lifted. At that time, when they returned, they gave that money to help build a community center in Steveston, just a general community center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they just asked that the judo club be allowed to use the space. Right. Yeah. So that's also. I think the like, kendo club too. Probably. I yeah. mean, both of those martial arts are very important. Steveson mm-hmm. always have been. But that was sort of the beginning of the community spaces and Steveson and Nikkei involvement in them. Because now they also have the separate martial arts center. Yes. The dojo was mm-hmm. built in 1972, and it was the first Japanese style dojo built outside of Japan. Mm. So that's pretty cool and that i think both kendo and judo use that Mm -hmm. i remember reading about they're paired with wakayama city oh yeah apparently there is some relationship when it first started up the mayor of wakayama city was a karate instructor oh really and so he's not being in steve well that's the thing is he was concerned that there wasn't karate taking place at the martial arts (laughs) so he actually arranged to send a karate instructor to steveston and so that's why they have karate at the martial arts center now even though before the war they didn't really have karate in Steveston so that's so interesting um, that's an interesting aspect of it and the martial arts does seem to be in these other cultural centers as well and a key to bringing in people who are not necessarily genetically connected to Japanese Canadian culture but have an interest in martial arts mm-hmm. and karate yeah. and judo and maybe to a lesser extent kendo mm-hmm. some of those things seem to be a, one of the keys for bringing people in. yeah definitely we recently opened a dojo at Nikkei Center too lots of different groups practice there there's karate there's judo there's also aikido i don't think we have any kendo groups but yeah several different groups actually the hula dancers also practice there oh that's a traditional uh (laughs) maybe are they from hawaii yeah i think it might have to do with nikkei in hawaii but apparently hula is also very popular in japan Hmm. Japan is the most popular place for hula dancing outside of Hawaii. Really? In some ways, I understand that hula dancing has actions that sort of convey stories, which is similar to the tradition in Japanese buyo. So maybe they see an affinity there. and Maybe they're easier to wear grass skirts than put on kimono. (laughs) Probably. Well, it always looks like they're having lots of fun when I see them practicing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but going back to Steveston, their Japanese-Canadian cultural center. Mm -hmm. They have the Steveston Community Center which was built partially with funds from the Japanese Fishermen's Benevolent Society, and then their dojo, and then with Redress Funds, they actually built their own Japanese-Canadian Cultural Center, and that's part of one campus with the Stevenson Community Center and the Martial Arts Center. So they've got a nice little complex out there in Stevenson, which is wonderful. It's an interesting idea of 
having components that you sort of add to in that sense. Yeah, well, it's similar to out here, right? Because we have Nikkei Center, but we also have Nikkei Home and mm -hmm. Sakura. So, mm -hmm. And also the center itself is both a museum and a cultural center, and all these components are working together. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's a really common element when I was looking at different cultural centers and the way that different organizations are involved, is that there's usually more than one organization that really contributes. Right, yeah. So it's like one place and there are different sort of subsets to mm -hmm. it. And they work together. And there's always, you know, subsets upon subsets upon subsets. Mm -hmm. I think that was an aspect by having a cultural center earlier in Toronto mm -hmm. that the different organizations saw that as a natural focal point rather than looking for another place to do right. that thing. They naturally so, come together because there's a space. Right, yeah. Which I guess is why that's such an important and effective way to rebuild a community that's been dispersed is mm -hmm. because you automatically go towards other groups that are from the same culture mm -hmm. because you share that cultural center rather than trying to find your own space and feeling like you might be competing right although when you start creating a center after people have been there for a while they may have found those other venues and so it's harder to bring them together i think that, that can right. be a challenge for That's some true. of the communities in those places they do seem to use these facilities for lots of different functions my brother lives in hamilton and oh, his yeah. main connection to the center there was they had a golf tournament and he went for the dinner that they had in the facility which seems to be like a, a big gym so that they can use it for lots of different functions wonderful it also seems to depend not only on the community of Japanese Canadians, but the community at large. What I mean by that is if there is a strong multicultural sense within the community, then they're like one community within a larger community, uh, right. these different groups. So in Winnipeg, for example, there's a festival, Folklorama, where different cultural groups put on things and, and they travel around so that the Japanese Canadian Cultural Center there is able to participate as one of many. Right, and I think it's the Japanese Canadian Association of Yukon that had some of their events at a multicultural center in Whitehorse. So I guess what we're saying is that it's part of a bigger mosaic of Canadian multiculturalism. And being close with people outside of the Japanese Canadian heritage community and having relationships that go both ways outside of our own group is also a really important way to keep the centers thriving. Well, I'm thinking back to Armiki again, he said that the programs and activities offered by Japanese Canadian cultural centers are being accessed by other Canadians. And that means they can learn more about Japanese culture and Japanese Canadian culture and history. And that creates more positive attitudes and feelings of friendship. Mm -hmm. Now that aspect of Japanese Canadian heritage is an interesting one because that can be an element that is important to the community if it grew up there or developed, you know, as far as the history and so forth during World War II, but perhaps less immediately obvious to people who are interested or are aware of Japanese culture, either traditional related to martial arts or dancing, or more recently with anime and manga and things like that and video games. But I guess it's an opportunity to introduce that if you have people coming for one aspect aspect to introduce them to this other aspect of the culture and the history as well yeah yeah it's a way in and getting to know the mm -hmm. people in that community as well as the activities and traditions that they practice because there is this sense of wanting to be felt that you are just a canadian 
mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody from somewhere else. Yes. And actually, in that being, in fact, the case for many Nikkei today, mm-hmm. especially, well, for all of us that were from families who came before the war. Mm-hmm. So I think that that seems to be an ongoing discussion that each of these cultural centers, mm-hmm. this relationship between the past and the present and the future, yeah. and who it is that's driving the delivery and also who it is that's coming to the cultural center. Yeah, and I think it's great that there's a diverse population that uses these centers, that it's not only Nikkei, whose families have been here through the internment period, but also more recent immigrants from Japan and their families, as well as the general community in whatever local city or town we're talking about. Because it's really that togetherness, not only within our own community, but also outside of it, that is going to foster real understanding of the importance of our heritage and our culture in a way that we can actually celebrate ourselves and each other and understand. And I think that feeling of togetherness is something that wasn't there among different communities before the war and led to a lot of misunderstandings and resentment and, of course, the forced removal from the coast. So the idea of a cultural centre being a place where everyone is welcome, where we as Japanese Canadians can host other communities, Mm -hmm. it just seems like a really important statement about where we're going as a society after redress. Mm -hmm. I think that that question of society is interesting in terms of how people relate to their communities in general, like not just talking about Japanese Canadians, Mm -hmm. but because of technology and so forth, the concern about people actually meeting other people face to face Mm -hmm. and this idea of building community. So much of these cultural centers are dependent upon volunteer efforts. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really, that's what it's all about is you have people who are committed to doing this as part of their life of contributing to a larger community and And I suppose a concern could be that if people are either too busy or they're only focused on consumption, that they're not aware of or it's not part of their thinking to be contributing to things in a larger sense. And so that could be a challenge going forward even more than any personal connection to the culture as this idea of what can you do to keep it going. Right. And I mean, that makes me go back in my mind to when we're talking about seniors and seniors groups, because in addition to providing support for seniors in places like Nikkei Home, I think in a lot of places, and certainly here at Nikkei Center too, we have the Seniors Auxiliary. There's seniors groups like that. I'm also thinking of the Kotobukikai in Calgary, are really important driving forces in terms of people who put in the time an effort to keep the place running through their volunteer work and through passing on their knowledge, they're often disproportionately seniors. And so I hope that's not something that's going to die off with our elders right now, but it's mainly, I think, partly that when you're a senior, you have more time to give back to your community, start to think about it more, and hopefully that'll continue to happen with the subsequent generations as they age. And I also thought of um, when I was looking at the Kamloops Japanese Canadian Association's website, one of the activities they have is a Thursday's drop-in where a group of their senior ladies just come and take their lunch and go to the cultural center to watch TV, play cards, knit, crochet, or just talk and visit. And they've continued to do so since 1985, although the composition of the group has changed throughout the years. They just socialize while doing their own knitting, crocheting, or whatever, Mm. and they speak both English and Japanese. Mm. So I think, you know, 1985 is 30 years ago. Yeah. So from that time, the group who are seniors has changed and evolved, but that practice is still going on and that wanting to be together in that sort of casual way, Mm -hmm. which I think is really lovely. And I think the contribution of seniors to these cultural centers is really a huge part of what will, I think, continue to keep it going. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's worth highlighting the aspect of contributing, you know, as we try to get younger people involved. At the yes. same time, I know that my parents actually live not too far from the Cultural Center in Toronto, partly so that they can get to that place for different events. They have mm-hmm. festivals specifically for seniors and so forth. They have Kairokai too? Yeah, they have something called Winford Seniors, oh, okay. which is related to the street name of the original building, which is oh. kind of interesting. They carried it over. That sounds like a very British... <laughs> <laughs> That was just the name of the street that the original building was on. And they have other festivals that are taking place. And within their building, it's such a big building, they have an art gallery space and they have a heritage center space. And there are volunteers who are involved in different aspects of it. Way back once upon a time in the original building, Toronto used to have a festival, multicultural festival called Caravan, where different communities throughout the city would put on shows and offer food and things like that. And you'd get a passport and travel around. And I guess because I knew somebody, I was the mayor of the Tokyo Pavilion at <laughs> um, the cultural center there. You and didn't so, tell me you used to be mayor, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I didn't get any particular perks. No, I did get the one perk of we got to get shuttled off to check out some of the other cultural centers and they give you nice food and stuff like that. That's but people cool. people would ask you strange questions. There is this thing of who you are in that context. Mm-hmm. So, so I was wearing this black kimono and they were with my Tiva sandals because I didn't have proper eyes. Uh, <laughs> But, um, you know, I still remember somebody would come up to me. This is the strangest thing. He he must have thought I had some real connections. He said his daughter was a doctor in South America. And could I arrange for some Japanese company to send an x-ray machine down? <laughs> oh, wow. He must have thought you were like from the consulate yeah, or something. I don't know. But uh, that was a really interesting opportunity to see at that time, you know, all the different volunteers and all that they do. That used to be a hugely popular thing. And their so-called Tokyo Pavilion was always one of the top draws within that festival. Mm. Of course, they also had, you know, one of the best venues as well compared to a lot of the other places. And and so that does make a big difference. You feel proud to be part of a nice building. Mm -hmm. And I have had conversations with people coming to Nikkei Center for different events too, from other communities, like, for example, Chinese Canadian or Filipino Canadian communities where they're so in awe of our space. And I get reminded again of how lucky we are to have this center too, because it's a beautiful space and it gives you a place to come to when you have that draw to your own community too, right? Because Mm -hmm. I feel like when you say like your parents live in Toronto close to the JCCC, mm-hmm. it gives you a place to do that with. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people, they get drawn back to their own cultural heritage and communities, especially as they get older. I'm thinking about my own grandparents now because they lived in Nikkei home. Mm. And it was so helpful for them, so good for them when they couldn't live on their own anymore to be able to have Japanese food. Mm. Yeah. So just things like that, I think, is literally a a center, right? Mm -hmm. It it gives you a place that is the center and is a place you can draw close to for things like that. So if you have a community center, a Japanese cultural center, Japanese Canadian cultural center, or any place where where the Japanese Canadian Nikkei communities gather. Yeah. And if you haven't been there in a while, you should go check it out and maybe help out. Yeah. No matter what your age, I think there's always a place for that in people's lives. And if you think we haven't mentioned enough about your particular cultural center, then you can add your two cents yeah definitely i mean we're just doing our own research from our vancouver base here or vancouver slash burnaby but there's definitely more out there than we can find from the west coast so yeah we'd love to hear more about your own community and your cultural centers from your perspective there's a contact us form on our website i'll also post it on facebook and twitter if you're into social media so i guess what we've come to is that cultural centers sound japanese canadian to me that's right. Go check yours.